Welcome to the Ready to Run podcast. I'm your host, Efren Kabalias, DO, sports medicine physician based out of the Boulder, Colorado area. And I'm your host, Kurt Roser, doctor of physical therapy, also based in the Boulder area. The goal of our podcast is to engage in thoughtful discussions with athletes, coaches, clinicians, and researchers to share knowledge within the field of sports medicine and inspire progression in the sport of running. We hope to empower individuals to navigate injuries, reduce injury risk, optimize training and performance, and provide listeners with the tools needed to get ready to run. You'll be able to listen to us on Apple iTunes and other podcast formats. You can also follow us on Instagram at ReadyToRunPodcast. Today's guest on the Ready to Run podcast is Alicia Munson. Alicia is an American long-distance runner in the 5,000-meter and 10,000-meter distances, originally from Amory, Wisconsin. She attended the University of Wisconsin, where she had honors including Big Ten Track Athlete of the Year and 5,000-meter indoor NCAA title in 2019. After earning her degree in dietetics, Alicia turned pro and joined the On Athletics Club in Boulder, Colorado. In her first year as a pro runner, she earned a spot in the 10,000-meter at the 2020 Tokyo Olympic Games. 2022 has been a breakout year for Alicia. In January, she won the U.S. cross-country title. She carried that momentum into a phenomenal indoor and outdoor season that culminated in a second-place finish at the 2022 U.S. 10,000-meter championships at the Prefontaine Classic to secure a spot on Team USA for the World Athletics Championships in Eugene, Oregon. Alicia has had some amazing performances in the Diamond Leagues, including a 5,000-meter personal best of 14.31 in Oslo, which ranks her third all-time for U.S. women. We'll discuss some of the important aspects of her mental and physical preparation and how she maintains consistency at high levels of training. Let's get ready to run with Olympic long-distance runner Alicia Munson. Well, welcome to the Ready to Run podcast. We're really excited to have you here today. Um, let's start by telling the listeners who you are and what gets you ready to run. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, I'm Alicia Munson. I run for the On Athletics Club uh, in Boulder, Colorado. And what gets me ready to run is having to start start out with my teammates. You know, when we meet early in the morning, that's kind of what gets me ready. And, and uh, we're all out here working together. Nice. You guys are all uh, big uh, coffee fans. I oh, know, yeah. Um, that's a big component probably of your, your oh, morning yeah. ritual. I always have a latte to start my morning. I always like wake up and Ben and Bert go outside. They go for a little walk. Bert is my dog. Um, <laughs> and so then I make some coffee and some oatmeal and we sit down and then we head out to the group run. Yeah. Yeah. And congratulations on an awesome season so far. You've still got a couple races left, I think. Mm-hmm. But so far, yeah, been super uh great track season i guess cross-country season too i know it's yeah it's crazy we started with cross-country in january and now we're on the track yeah yeah been a long long couple months we wanted to start kind of from like the uh a little bit of backstory about you um and uh kind of tie into something that we talked about on our our last episodes which was teenagers playing sports and sports specialization in in kids Mm -hmm. And um, the concept of early sports sampling. Um, so uh, I'll let kind of Efren take it away. Yeah. So in our last episode with Chris Lee, he's a strength coach. We talked about early sports specialization and 
um, how a lot of elite athletes, what they tend to do is sample a bunch of different sports. And I know you, you have told us that you, you played basketball mm-hmm. in the past. Um, and um, the other thing that came up, too, is we even noticed um, as we were doing research, you're from a um, somewhat of a small town. Um, Amory, am I saying that right? Yep, Amory. Great. And how, how big is how big is Amory? It's about 3,000 people. So I graduated with a class of about 120. So pretty small. Yeah. How many stoplights is that? <laughs> oh, man. I mean, we've got one main street. There's probably like two. Oh, okay, <laughs> yeah. cool. All right. Um, so yeah, it was interesting too, because like statistically, um, one thing that popped up was that we found that more professional and elite athletes actually come from small towns. And if you look at it statistically, like 50% of NFL players and 30% of NBA players actually grew up in small cities of like 50,000 or, or less people. Yeah, that's kind of interesting. Kind of a crazy statistic. <laughs> so, like, when you were growing up, did you like play like multiple sports, or did you find like track and field early? Like, what was your course? Yeah, I didn't really start getting interested in running until later on, like more like end of middle school, early high school. So I started out playing a lot more sports. Like I was in gymnastics originally, like at three years old, uh, and then eventually like. My siblings all played basketball and volleyball, so I played that too. I played basketball and volleyball, um, continued playing basketball all through high school, but uh, once I got to high school, I stopped playing volleyball and started doing cross country instead. So mm-hmm. yeah, I did do, and I tried softball, but I was horrible at it, but um, <laughs> yeah, so I did a lot of different sports growing up. <laughs> yeah, well, it's super interesting, like in the the bone injury and tendon injury kind of research kids and adolescents and teenagers that play jumping sports like volleyball or basketball Mm -hmm. or just things where you have to sprint and cut and change directions um, it's really good for your bone health long term and also um, for your tendon capacity so you as an adult you can't really um, grow thicker tendons in terms of cross-sectional area Mm -hmm. um, we don't think so you probably after the age of you know 20 or maybe mid-20s you're not gonna like get any um, you know thicker tendons which is kind of like an important factor for being able to train at a high level and run super fast so interesting you're you're kind of the uh yeah whether unintentional or not like the the perfect like uh professional athlete from a childhood perspective Hmm. Um, cool i'm curious about i should ask my other teammates if they i feel like most of us did other sports growing up ollie did swimming that's i don't know if swimming is a counts as building up your tendons and stuff but certainly changes the way you do things it's definitely it's a it's a different activity and um yeah definitely you know there's probably cardiovascular cardiovascular development too and yeah i think obviously there's like a lot of like confounding factors with those statistics but um it's just something that is uh we were talking about it's it's interesting that like there's so many good young runners right now at the um, high school and collegiate level that it's going to be really exciting to see like what you know like what your generation does like in the next 10 years and then also what the generation behind you does um yeah. in terms of yeah american distance running and international distance running i just think it's going to be a really um great you know next couple of decades for in terms of performances from american distance runners so one of the things we had found was a quote from dathan um where hopefully he, a good one <laughs> We'll, we'll see. <laughs> so he, yeah, I forget where I saw this. It was a magazine or, or something. But he said, um, in describing you, um, she's a real nice, sweet girl, but she's a killer on the track. 
And Alicia has this amazing instinct and ability to push herself to a different place and is one of the toughest people I know. I don't know many other people who can go out to that dark place. And when I envision that, <laughs> I, I totally think like, I'm a big Marvel guy. I don't know if you watch Marvel at oh, all. Yeah, I've seen a couple. Okay. So I, I think of like the Hulk, you know, who's like this like scientist kind of person and real like well-mannered. And then he goes to like a dark place and becomes the Hulk and is just able to like smash and rage. And um, I, I'm guessing that's what he was going for in his description. In yeah. You. Um, can you comment on that? Like what, what, what is your mentality when, when you're racing? Yeah. I mean, I definitely, I, I think one example of it is the fact that I've took myself to the hospital after the olympic trials 10k um that's a good yeah. objective example <laughs> it's a yeah. very good example of Jason's quote um yeah no i mean i think that like part of it could be that you know i grew up playing sports i'm a very competitive driven person so part of it is that when i go onto the race like that's my time that i can channel that competitiveness because i'm not going to be like i don't know some hulk person in real life <laughs> so <laughs> so uh being able to like do it on the track and i think it's like important for people in general like whether it be youth or just like you know it's sports are important throughout our entire lives and so i think that being able to race and being able to like push myself is just where i can go on the track yeah it's always the quiet ones gotta yeah. watch out for it <laughs> um well i can attest to that a little bit like i dathan asked me once to pace you in a workout and i was like oh yeah i I can do this i was like in 218 marathon shape i was like oh i should be able to hang with alicia for a workout i made it like halfway i think and then you just went around me and i was like well i I think i'll just stop now oh yeah that was one of those workouts that like we have certain workouts that are really key and it's like usually the ladders where we build down starting at like 2k and then we just keep getting faster and faster and it's kind of those workouts that Dathan's like, all right, you have to be really focused for because this is like the most race simulation that you're going to get. So yeah, that's a good one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And that's one thing um, that I know, like we've talked about in the past and um, that I wanted to like ask you about here uh, because I feel like track athletes have, um, you have to kind of two different mentalities. So you have to have like that racing mindset where you can go, you know, super hard and be very competitive. And like, that's the difference um, at your level in, you know, making the team or or getting a medal or winning the race. And that's like, um, you can't really teach that. You kind of either have it or you don't, and you can certainly hone it. Um, But successful long-term athletes and what we see in clinic, people don't develop that kind of training instinct of, you know, when you can access that and when you should hold back so we kind of wanted to ask you like do you like think about that like you mentioned uh, in some of those key interval workouts but like what about the rest of your training like how do you think about your effort on um an interval workout versus like threshold work versus just like an easy recovery run versus like a long run yeah i mean everything has its purpose so like the easy runs we're not trying to I mean, I usually do my easy runs probably average seven-minute pace, which um, your regular running person might think that I run faster than that, but I don't. <laughs> like, um, And so then it's kind of having intention with like every single run that we do. Um, and so if we go into a workout and it's supposed to be hard, then we make it hard. But if it's supposed to be a recovery workout after a race, like you're just going to end up injured if you push too hard. So part of that is just like having learned what I need to do over like, I mean, I've been competitively running for like 
I don't know, a decade now. (laughs) um, So part of that is just learning what you need and getting more experience. Um, So, yeah, I mean, threshold runs also very different from interval sessions and it changes throughout the year too with periodization. So like in the fall, maybe we're doing three by three mile at threshold. Whereas right now, like after I did Poland, I did the Poland 3K and I just had three by mile threshold afterwards. So that's a third of the workout that we usually do. So it's kind of just like having intention with like, what's the purpose of this? Like, what's it going to do for me come race time? So it sounds like intensity is still um, up there during these peak times. Yeah. Um, but if you scale back the volume. Exactly. That's all right. Yeah. 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 That's so important because we definitely see, um, you know, whether you're a recreational runner um, or a professional runner, it's like you, you kind of toe this fine line of like when to push and when not to push. Mm-hmm. We definitely see it on the other end when people kind of tip that balance too far. And, yeah. You know, for some, it's like the first time you talk to them, it's like, I can't really pinpoint a specific workout, but then like you talk to them for another five minutes and you're like, you know, I think about it. I was running pretty intensely for like months on it. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so like what, um, like what are some of the signals that you like personally look for? Um, I mean, I would say like part of it is just how I feel when I wake up in the morning. Like if I've been hitting it really hard week after week, suddenly like when I wake up in the mornings, it's like, okay, I feel pretty bad when I first start walking. And then um, also just like sleep and fueling are just so important that um, if I'm not getting enough sleep, I feel like I have to be really cognizant of like how I'm doing on runs and stuff because Maybe I miss a few naps here and there, but then that kind of builds up and then you can start getting sick or injured. Um, So, yeah, I would say like if I suddenly feel like I'm not getting as much sleep, I need to kind of take a step back and be like, okay, what do I need to do to help myself recover more? Just because we do operate on like such a fine line that if you're not recovering properly, it's just going to go downhill. Yeah, totally. And that's one of the things that like, in working with you for uh, a couple of years now, like you're one of the people that you've, you have really figured out how to optimize that training and listen to your body and those very subtle signs that some mm-hmm. people honestly like never learn. And we're, we as clinicians are struggling with how do we like kind of teach that or who can we refer someone to, to help them learn that. Um, and I'm, coaches, I'm sure, are always trying to, like, teach that to athletes. But, um, yeah, yeah, it's just like a, a really – that's an important skill of training and reaching your best uh, long-term is, like, listening to those subtle signs and finding out what they are to you. And they can be different for everybody. Um, yeah, that's true. Mostly I can usually feel it in, like, my – I've had problems in my feet, like, my whole career. And so it's like if you wake up and suddenly your feet are, like, too stiff to really walk very well, it's like, okay, that's <laughs> when I know, like – we need to chill a little bit. <laughs> totally. Yeah. And that's, I know something, yeah, we've talked about too, is like that, yeah, how your ankles and feet are feeling in terms of stiffness, like first thing in the morning, like mm-hmm. how long that's lasting and uh, what is that in response to? And um, yeah, so that's a signal that, um, you know, basically you're monitoring tendinopathy or for joint pain. And it, those are the early signs of um, that your tendons are being worked to their capacity and mm-hmm. you're either going to adapt to it uh, or you're going to be pushing that pushing like on the the wrong end of the the spectrum for a little bit too long so yeah all really smart stuff and it's like across any sport i think like um, athletes learn how to get the most out of their bodies and training and uh, i just think you do a really good job about it and it's important for like 
younger people and then you know sub elite runners and everyone that's um no matter what you're training for to like realize that elite runners aren't just bulldozing their way and working super hard and yeah. you know putting themselves in the er after uh <laughs> after workouts and races yeah. like that's not what gets you that's good that's a very <laughs> slim portion of the time <laughs> that's hopefully a once in a lifetime yeah. <laughs> experience for you um so for those for those who don't know like what we're referencing can you can you um just briefly talk about that yeah so it was um this was the olympic trials 10k in 2021 yes and it was a really hot day they did move the race earlier but it was still it still started at 10 a.m so the sun was very warm on the track and um i finished the race managed to get third but it was like i obviously had heat stroke even like halfway through the race i knew that i was not exactly there and I managed to finish, even though I like kind of stumbled a couple of times um, and then ended up, you know, coming off the track. I was near near passing out and they took me to the medical tent, uh, put me in a cold ice bath. And then by that time, my body had kind of shut down so much that I just couldn't even regulate uh, my temperature. And so then they took me to the hospital and just kind of gave me fluids, monitored me overnight and released me the next day. So what what uh what was the temperature that day? I mean it got to over 100. I think at the time it was like 85 degrees but close to 100 on the track surface. So, yeah. That's insane. Something like that. <laughs> yeah. Um so I'm curious now cuz then that was that was a couple months before before Tokyo, mm-hmm. um, correct? So um how did you prepare then for the heat there? Did you have to go into like some special like heat acclimatization? protocol or yeah what yeah. I was curious about that so it took me I took like probably two weeks to really come back around after the Olympic trials 10k just to make sure you know I was recovering and uh getting ready for the Olympics and so by that time I had about a month so we took about a month to do heat acclimatization um so I was like I was out here on the boulder roads like running in sweatpants and sweatshirts like Kurt yeah, drove I I, by me one I, I saw you and I was like what is that crazy person doing out it's like 90 degrees in yeah. and had, like baggy sweats on and then uh, <laughs> later you're like I was running on the Lobo trail and I was like oh I saw you I was, <laughs> I was concerned <laughs> yeah. yeah so we had like a whole um some of the USATF um people had a protocol to give Joe and I because Joe was also doing the 10k um and it helped a lot actually like i was obviously fine after the tokyo 10k and it was just as hot and more humid um so it helped a lot and we did it again this year before u.s champs even though it turned out to be fine weather for the 10k but um yeah so it it helped a lot and i think it was definitely like a huge thing in me being able to like both physically and mentally prepare for that because i don't want to just have a whole nother trials experience do you feel like the benefits of of that heat training were mostly physiologic or was a lot of it just like confidence and like getting used to that feeling of being like like hot I guess yeah I think part of it is mental just that I know what it feels like to feel warm but I think you guys might be able to speak to there's like heat reactive proteins that um that change if you're heat training and then also when we got to Tokyo I had about 10 days to get used to the humidity so yeah, I think part of it is physiological, but also a bit mental. Yeah. I mean, I think at, at your level, it's uh, there has to be some physiologic changes because like, you're going to know how to push yourself yeah. uh, in a race situation. But um, yeah, it's super, 
super interesting did do you also do the like ice vest thing before the race or have you done that before yeah before the race i didn't have to do it at all this year just because it was like it was like room temperature at the time of the u.s champs 10k um but last year before both the olympic trials and the olympics we did ice vests so we'll like um it's an ice vest basically it you know holds close to your body and you wear it like before you go to warm up which we start our warm-up about an hour before the race um and so i'll wear it before the warm-up and then go jog for um i usually jog for about 20 minutes and then once i come back put back on the ice vest um do some like drills and strides i kind of take off the ice vest for strides which people do it differently but dathan doesn't really like running in it just because it feels so like it is heavy it feels so different than your usual running um but and then put put it back on and we kind of wear it until they basically take us out under the stadium yeah and i think the idea there is that it you're lowering your core temperature by like i don't know the exact number but maybe like a degree or something yeah and then it takes you 20 minutes to get that degree back and so then you've got you've basically bought yourself a certain amount of time um before your body's gonna get to that overheated level mm-hmm. um and yeah i know marathoners that's quite common in uh, in big marathons too if it's going to be hot uh, on the treatment side of that um i you hear of people like getting dunked in ice baths and stuff after like is that actually like a good idea do we do we know if that's a good idea or oh, not yeah, totally. um so there's, there's different different cooling methods um that, that that are out there um back in the day they used to do like a like a burrito ice burrito where like you literally just wrap the athlete um in as many ice packs as you can i think now what we're doing is more of a cold water um kind of like you get like almost like a like a bath like a dunk tank that was mm-hmm. that kind of what you that's had that's what it was is like yeah. an ice bath yeah. okay so i'm not sure how much you recall um but um but yeah, and so it's like basically just rapid immersion. But then the one thing you have to watch out for is like a, a rebound um, hypothermia. So you really have to be like monitoring the temperature throughout the process so that they don't you don't yeah. go too far in the other direction. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> sounds, uh, <laughs> sounds familiar. <laughs> sounds awful. Yeah. Let's not do that again. Yeah. <laughs> so you've got two more races probably this this mm-hmm. season, right? Yeah. Um. So Diamond League final. Probably. Yep. yep. And then what was the, the Diamond League race before that? Yeah, the Lausanne 3K. Lausanne. So, okay. yeah, two more, and hopefully I'll make it into the, into the final at this point. So, yeah. Cool. And you've had, you've PR'd in the 5K and the 10K this season, right? Yeah. And the 3K, and I guess. And the 3K, yeah. So, yeah, <laughs> the 5K was... I, I don't know. I really loved, well, I always like watching your race, but the 5K was really exciting for me to watch. And you ran 1431, mm-hmm. I think, which is number three mm-hmm. all time US. Yeah. Uh, women's yeah, that was list. an exciting one. What, uh, yeah, I don't know. Do you, could you pick a favorite race that you had this season or like anything stand out at you? I feel like I, I think Oslo probably has been a really fun one for me just because um, I knew that I could run a really fast. That was where I ran the. 5k and 1431 i knew that i could run a fast um 5k and it was you know another thing to actually go and do it but then also it was a diamond league race and a lot of european fans are just really exciting when uh when you go to the diamond league races and the stadium was like totally packed because Jakob was running there that evening and 
um, the Norwegian woman in my race, um, Grovdal, she broke their 5K record, which was from the 80s, I think. Oh, wow. So and so I, and she was like leading a, a lot of the race and so it was super loud cuz everyone was so excited and I just remember the last couple laps were like deafening like I could not hear a thing. So yeah, it was just a really fun race, I think. And that was it was uh raining. Was it raining during your race or yeah. immediately after? It was like yeah. it started out not raining and then by like 3k it was just downpouring. It was crazy. It's pretty epic. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's kind of interesting cuz like um you um having to run in like a, a big crowd like that because you, you when i recall you, you turned professional like during covid yeah. right yeah yeah so, so like the olympics there was zero crowd yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh man so it must have been such a cool experience yeah it was yeah i think because i got to race a couple of the diamond league races last year and um those were larger races and so kind of to come from like basically racing at random high school high schools during covid to um going to these big diamond league races um was exciting and kind of hopefully that's the way it tends towards you know bigger bigger fans and stuff um for like the next olympics but we'll see <laughs> yeah i mean being out in eugene was pretty pretty sweet i mean just yeah. being in the crowd it, like, mm-hmm. it was it was it was cool to see like as a spectator hanging out for world champs like yeah just packed stadiums yeah and then even when i was done racing and got to go watch it was it was cool like people were just filling the stadium especially for a lot of like the sprint finals and the 1500 meter final was really cool so yeah did you get to did you get to race the or watch the 10k efren when you were in eugene uh racing no um (laughs) (laughs) uh, watching yes it was pretty sweet actually I i was there for um I got to hang out during Alicia's race and then Joe's race um, yeah. the next day, and it was it was pretty awesome just to see because like you know it's it's interesting for from my perspective because like being a physician taking care of like some pretty cool athletes, but also being a huge fan of the sport and like you know I don't necessarily like seeing you in my office, um, <laughs> yeah. but and it's really cool to see you get to do what you want to do, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and 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 to be like a small part of that um, puzzle is is really cool. Yeah. So tell us though, about um, come, um, building up to Oslo. Like, I saw you guys were training out in St. Moritz. Is that yeah. correct? What was that like? That was sweet. That was my first time in St. Moritz. Um, and I'm going back there between Lausanne and the Diamond League final. Um, yeah, it's kind of perfect just because it's like kind of the ideal little mountain town. And it's at about 6,000 feet elevation, which is pretty close to Boulder. Um and so yeah that was cool and there's like little trails that you can run on and the tracks just right there so yeah it's kind of ideal because then you can the idea is that we go um down from altitude basically and race within 48 hours to keep that altitude benefit so it's kind of an ideal place to have in europe that we just then take the train down to zurich and fly to oslo so yeah yeah it looks beautiful and like a like pretty optimal place to train just with yeah pretty like uh the track is like right at the base of some pretty mm-hmm. epic looking mountains and there's lots of gravel paths and stuff yeah. for you guys to and it's around. really walkable too like we have some on apartment buildings that we've stayed at um this summer and you kind of just walk right up from the lake where the trails are and the track is um so it makes training camp i guess short training camps easy yeah it's a pretty like beautiful like destination for any any runner um, to go hang out. I, I was fortunate to go there like just before the Berlin Marathon in 2019. Okay. Um, and, like flew into Zurich, took that train down. Um, is that what you guys you took yeah. that train? Yeah. yeah. 
And it's this really beautiful, like, windy train that goes through, like, the Swiss Alps, and then you end up in St. Moritz. And yeah. it's, like, this, like, majestic, kind of like, kind of like Aspen if you're, if you're from Colorado, but more beautiful. Um, <laughs> as hard as it is to imagine. Yeah. Um, and, like, I remember when I was there, it was kind of funny because, like, it was the same time, like, Bowerman Track Club was there mm-hmm. at the time. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I took the, it was my first time, like, traveling, like, alone internationally. Cause I was supposed to go with a friend, but then she got injured. Oh. Um, and so it was, like, me alone. My flight got, like, totally rerouted and it was a mess. And then I get down to St. Moritz. It's, like, pouring rain. And, like, there's, like, one little bus that goes around the whole town. Yeah. And, like, I totally missed my stop. So, I'm back at the bus station. <laughs> I'm, like, angry. And then all of a sudden, I see, like, this glimmer of, like, Shalane Flanagan <laughs> at the at the, uh, at the the bus stop. And, like, I couldn't quite tell it was her because it was raining, so she had her hood on. And, like, I'm just sitting, like, yeah. you know, five feet away from her. And finally, I'm just, like, I'm, like she's got Nikes, short, blonde. All right. I'm just kind of, like, Shalane? <laughs> as if we're like old friends and then she like she like turns around and like she's super nice about it like um just really cool experience like yeah. as a, if you're ever like you know first people who like you know love the sport um like it's a great place to to go run but it's also a cool place to see like professionals like yourself yeah because there's usually professional athletes there like throughout the whole summer basically i can name like three different groups that are there right now so yeah mm-hmm. you can usually go there and see some professional athletes working out at the track yeah especially kind of towards the tail end of track season it seems like there's a lot of people using that as like a home base Mm -hmm. and uh you mentioned altitude do you um when you're traveling to different races like you're bringing an altitude tent with you to like stay at altitude if you're um traveling to someplace at sea level for more than a few days or do you not have to yeah it kind of depends like so when we went to Oslo and we were in St. Moritz, we didn't bring the tent just because we would be coming down in a short enough period. But mm-hmm. um, Sage and I went to Poland, but we just went, we were down for one week beforehand. So you kind of either want to do like two days or seven days. And so we just didn't bring an altitude tent, partially because when we went to Serbia, we did have altitude tents and then we accidentally didn't have the correct adapter. and one of them got fried, so it was like we were splitting a tent between... No, we were splitting two machines between me, Ollie, and George. <laughs> and so then Ollie took one tent to Australia, and that one got fried. And so <laughs> <laughs> kind of just... It's very difficult when you're not having the usual um, outlets that you have. Oh, yeah. I Seems like a logistical Yeah, like the nightmare. voltage is yeah, different. Yeah, gotta get those things. Um, so... Yeah, it kind of just depends, but it it worked out in Poland anyway. So that, that's something that I never realized was such a uh, a big deal until like the past several years, just like talking with elite athletes, and then like myself as a runner, like when I go down to races, like I've noticed like sometimes you feel great, and then sometimes you don't, and then but yeah, there's this definite window, like you just mm-hmm. mentioned, like uh, before forty eight hours or after seven days, where like that in between, like for some reason, you're physiologically like you're your body doesn't tend to like run super well for most yeah. people. Um, so yeah. I think people don't realize how much planning goes into like when you guys travel, like yeah. especially <laughs> overseas, like it's not just like get the best flight or the cheapest flight. It's like really got to like fit into a certain schedule and it's mm-hmm. super dialed in, which is something that Dathan obviously does yeah. well. He puts a lot of attention to detail in there, but mm-hmm. yeah, there's a lot that goes into it. Yeah. Can you, um, can you just describe the setup of the altitude tent? Because um, for 
for people listening, like some of us might be picturing like a camping tent. <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, can, yeah, just walk us through that. Yeah, so there's like this machine that I, I don't exactly know what it does. It's like the opposite of a CPAP machine, I think. So it basically takes oxygen from the air or makes the concentration of oxygen different. And so then you it pumps through some piping and it we sleep in just these tents that basically cover like your head through torso. Um they do the ones that we just got which are easier to travel with, they pack down better than using these old ones with PVC pipes that we had, but they mm-hmm. do actually look like these mini camping tents like basically these tiny ones that cover your torso um and then have kind of like weights on them so that it holds the air in um and then you have like an oxygen monitor that you can turn on every now and then just to make sure that you're not accidentally like on mount everest (laughs) yeah so like what's your like maneuverability in this thing are you able to like are you like pretty much locked in once you're in or can you like toss and turn yeah you can you can turn like it the the weights are in a way that like it'll just move with you but i honestly like I don't move when I sleep. (laughs) (laughs) The only time I'll move is if I'll wake up. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. Sleeping in altitude tents works different for different people. Like, I remember when Leah, this was like our first training camp, we were in Scottsdale, Arizona. And um, we were in altitude tents because we were there for like five weeks. And Leah spent like two nights in the altitude (laughs) tent because she like couldn't stand it and basically threw it against the wall. So... (laughs) yeah <laughs> yeah i think i would struggle with that too because like i think i like roll around a lot and stuff um yeah. and yeah also they're probably like hot and like i don't know they do get hot yeah. um we one time i had a little fan that well leah got it and then she stopped using it because she stopped using the tent but it's like a mini <laughs> fan that we were able to clip to the inside to kind oh. of move the air a little bit more because it does it it's kind of like heat training gets you uh, there you go yeah. <laughs> pretty warm throughout the night yeah double whammy yeah. we have one of those little fans for uh our stroller you probably have one as well yeah. my friend yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah it's pretty bougie also, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you have this little fan that you clamp onto the stroller because babies don't okay. thermo regulate well um so yeah that's a good <laughs> there you one. go if i ever find myself in one i'll take yeah. greta's uh, fan from her yeah that's just one of those things that like it sleeping in an altitude tent like um again pe- i don't think people realize like all of the stuff on the back end behind the training to support what you guys are mm-hmm. doing just yeah sleep and diet and all of the things that help keep you guys consistent yeah um, you kind of mentioned like uh sleep and a few other things but like yeah what are your kind of priorities or what do you think um you do really well that keeps you consistent in training um in these past couple years yeah i mean i think that i've found that like sleep and fueling are two of the things that like all the rolling in the world and all the treatment in the world aren't gonna fix you if you don't have good sleep and fueling like so totally uh yeah like getting it you know nine hours of sleep every night and laying down in between runs during the day like it kind of depends on how much I'm running whether I actually sleep during the day or not um like this time of year my volume is a lot lower so even though I'll lay down I won't really nap as much but that and just like staying hydrated all the time and making sure to like get food in basically like after runs I don't sit around for too long before I make lunch like I usually eat breakfast before the run and then eat basically brunch like at 11 a.m. and then have like 
a snack before my next run and then dinner. So kind of being able to have that kind of schedule where you're not going too long without food and you're always making sure to be ready because the goal is being ready for the next for the next run and for the next race. So, yeah, being able to get like the proper fueling in and the proper sleep in is important. And, and you studied uh, dietetics or yeah. nutrition in school? So. Yeah, I was I was in school for dietetics, which is a little bit different from nutrition because dietetics is like specifically to get to become a registered dietitian, which I would have need to sit um, for an exam and do a whole internship. But I didn't do that. So I just kind of have that background knowledge, I guess. <laughs> I guess. Um, do you think you'll do that? some like post running or yeah maybe i don't really have any specific plans but i definitely am not ruling it out um i think it's interesting and i think um you know a lot of people in the general population i mean athletes are really like mostly specific on you know needing to get proper fueling but i think a lot of people in the general population have realized how important it is to to eat healthy and stay healthy for a longer amount of time yeah i love the the schedule you just outlined of like the number of snacks that go throughout the day yeah the number of naps that go throughout the day and i'm listening to this and i'm looking at my child and like the schedule is not very different <laughs> no, um, you know he wakes up yeah. he, he has a snack he breakfast he runs around yep. snack nap yeah are, are you calling alicia a child <laughs> <laughs> i'm saying that yeah i guess what i'm saying is like the thought process is not very hard yeah you know sometimes we overcomplicate things right. by like yeah. like you're saying like you know like some people come in with their their injuries and they're asking about like there's what special shoes should i wear should you know should i be doing you know foam rolling all these things and i think it just kind of brings home the point that um if like if sleep recovery um and nutrition aren't there like those other pieces aren't quite as important yeah right yeah which once you get the sleep and recovery down and the fueling down then you can focus on you know what are the other things I can do? You know, we do more stuff in the gym. We do more rolling before our runs. But at the end of the day, like nothing's going to work if you aren't recovering. So, yeah. Yeah. I feel like we say this all the time, but you have to nail the basics. And mm -hmm. before you start laying, layering in the, you know, the things that might matter, but matter in a smaller percentage than just like getting all the basic things right. And I do. I just realized that like pretty much every time I've seen you, you've come in with a snack literally like, um. <laughs> yeah. i'm usually like post-run or pre-run so i like came in with my collagen matcha um because i'm gonna go That's for a, a run after snack. this wow. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and then i'm yeah i'm coming in with like cashews or something to to kurt's place after a run <laughs> yeah or what are the uh the peanut butter and jelly snack uncrustables yeah. uncrustables yeah, yeah. Oh, i love those yeah yeah they're honestly like a good quick snack like people are like oh maybe they're not as nutritious but like getting in that fast food is important so yeah one of the things i like to talk about with people is food and yeah you're always somebody that i enjoy asking like oh what are you what are you making for dinner you always have something yeah scrumptious on the menu yeah Ben yeah. and I are usually um into being creative and stuff which yeah. actually my parents were just here and brought like a whole box of months and vegetables like they have a whole garden and stuff and oh, wow. to get csa so it's just my mom and my dad at home now and so it's like they have all these vegetables so we have a fridge full right now that we're probably gonna go try to use for dinner <laughs> awesome any uh wisconsin uh cheese no they didn't bring any which sprouts actually sells ellsworth cheese curds which ellsworth is like probably an hour from my hometown 
Um, and we used to race there a lot. So whenever I go to Sprouts, I usually get some Ellsworth cheese curds. <laughs> I'll have to look for that next time. Yeah, <laughs> they're pretty good. Yeah. Um, so switching gears here just for a sec before we wrap up. Um, so you recently competed at um, World Champs in Eugene. Mm-hmm. Um, what was that experience like? Tell us about it. Yeah, I mean, it was a, it was good to get another World Champs experience. The race ended up, I was 13th, which is the same place I got in Tokyo, um, which I wanted to do better this time around. Um, but, you know, for whatever reason, I didn't quite have the kind of day that we had thought I could have uh, based on training and how I had raced earlier in the season. So part of that is just like, okay, well, that's another experience that you can say, what did I do right? What did I do wrong? What could I have done better? Um, so yeah, and then it was really cool to just be in Oregon. Like we race in Eugene all the time. We race there for uh, the champs, for random US champs, for random races and stuff. So it was cool to kind of have that familiarity and kind of see like all of these different athletes from around the world coming out. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was, it was a cool experience and good to have my team there and, uh, cheer each other on. Yeah. I think that's one of the hard things about the sport is to have like a day where it still is a good day. Like, right. Yeah. Remember, 13th like, in the world is still. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, and really only when you, when you look at like the difference between 13th place and third place, it's like not a lot of seconds really. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I remember like talking to you after and you're disappointed, but, um, but yeah, it's hard to keep it in perspective that that still is really really good Mm -hmm. um but i think it's awesome that your expectation for yourself is to be you know not be 13th but Mm -hmm. like you know be in the mix at the at the end and yeah it's amazing to see with you guys kind of how how that trend like how that progresses over the years and yeah you guys aren't you're just not happy to be in a be in the race anymore you you want to be at the at the front of the race at at the end when it matters Mm -hmm. um so it's yeah i've been really fun to watch you kind of get to that yeah level and excited for uh yeah your next couple races this year mm-hmm. and then next season and yeah big things I, th- to come. And I think that's part of it is like we have improved so quickly that we have like high expectations for ourselves and we kind of have to have to take a step back and be like all right where was i at one year ago like all of my races are so much better um than they were last year so yeah being able to keep building on that and be like okay the long-term goal is you know the next olympics um and being able to build on that every year it's good yeah which is only a year and a half yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah. it's kind of crazy crazy um yeah well awesome thanks so much for spending time with us and uh yeah we're excited to watch your last couple races for the season and then hope you get some uh little little rest after yeah a little Um, bit of recovery uh yeah any uh any off-season any plans or anything well i'm gonna go back um to wisconsin i'm gonna i've I'm going to babysit um, my two nephews for uh, one night. Uh, my sister has a wedding, so um, I'll be, you know, left alone with the kids. So hopefully everything goes fine. Uh, but so, yeah, other than that, just um, hanging out with family for a little bit and then coming back here and getting ready to train again. We'll be uh, excited to learn what's harder, running a, <laughs> a, a 30, 50, 10K or yeah. taking care of your nieces and nephews yeah. for uh, for a night? We'll oh. see. No, you'll do, you'll do <laughs> we'll great, see. yeah. It's not that hard. Like, I'm, I'm doing it. So. <laughs> <laughs> if Kurt can do it. 